the seat over lake. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. While you're getting a seat, you might want to grab the notes out of your handout, and you'll see we're starting a series. It's called Jubilee, and that's where we're going to be this month, because we are, as a church, we are turning 50 years old, and so we want to celebrate that birthday all month long. Yeah, exactly. And especially, it will culminate in this really special celebration service we're going to have on September 23rd. Uh, so uh, you might want to be thinking about inviting friends, family. We're going to invite the whole community to come in and just kind of not only celebrate the good things that God has done throughout the years, but then look forward at, at the next 50 and, and how good that is going to be as well. So as we're sort of thinking about that 50, I would love for you to maybe cast your minds back, or for some of you, your imaginations back, to the year 1968, okay? Think about this year. And in the year 1968, 50 years ago, uh, these were the songs that were on the charts. It was Just the Two of Us by Dolly Parton. And that is the only country music reference that will ever happen from this pulpit. Uh, uh, the next... Jumping Jack Flash by The Stones, Hey Jude by The Beatles, which by the way, that is the best Beatles tune, that's in my very correct opinion, and Hello, I Love You by The Doors, and finally, Say a Little Prayer by the unforgettable Aretha Franklin. So all kinds of stuff going on in 68, and in addition to all of that great music, a little church was starting in September 1968. This little Mormon church building on Rose Hill was the gathering location for a group of 23 committed followers of Jesus Christ, and that was the beginning of Overlake Christian Church. And so God has obviously grown us, and there's been a lot of uh, things along that journey, and so we are, we are very excited about celebrating that and honoring God with that and then trusting God as we embrace what the next 50 years might look like. But as we jump into this idea of Jubilee, we'll unpack it a little bit today. You need to realize that God has actually given us, in his word, he's given us this gift of pausing, and that's what we'll talk about today. God's, God's heart around this, God's, God's gift to us in the idea of pausing. And there are four different levels or ways in which God communicates his heart to us with this idea of this is his gift, his good heart wants us to pause. And so we're gonna jump into that in just a moment. Here's what I want you to know. This is such a relevant topic for us today. Because in our culture, we are constantly going, 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 rushing, rushing. Our, our lives are filled and overfilled. And not only that, but we sort of get rewarded for being busy all the time. In fact, a friend of mine was saying, you know what we really should do when we use the word busy in our conversations is just substitute it for the word important. People ask us, hey, how you been lately? And we say, oh man, I've been really important lately. It's been crazy. Right? Or somebody asks, hey, let's do lunch this week. And you're like, well, you know, I should check my calendar because I've been super important uh, this week. It just, right? It doesn't make any sense. And yet, that is sort of the underlying value. So many of us in America, our culture teaches this, that by staying busy and go, 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 that's where you get your worth. And that's how you reckon your value. And of course, the scripture says something totally different. Does it not? The scripture says you get your worth. Your, your value is reckoned because you are a son 
or a daughter of the Most High God. That's 1 John 3. So you understand that there's this whole new way of going after this. And so we want to get into God's good heart of pause for us, for his people. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one, very simply this, that sila is a practice of pause. Sila. Some of you are familiar with that phrase. Some of you aren't familiar with that phrase. Sila is a tiny word, and it's found 77 different times in the scriptures, most often in the Psalms. And most scholars think that what it means is to take a break. They think it means just to pause a second. And it, it could be, because it's found so often in the Psalms, it could be sort of an indication to the band or the musicians, hey, take a break, let's just have a, a second of silence here, or to the vocalists, so we're not going to sing here. But even as you want to think about the content reading through the Psalms, I feel like it's a way God is saying, stop and ponder what's been said. Like, pause for just a moment and be present in this Space. For example, Psalm 3, 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Like, like, don't miss that. Pause on it. Take it in. Like, enjoy that moment that you have a God who listens to the cry of your heart, who responds to your need and your Requests. And, and so this idea of pause or, or rest or, or stop, it's a little bit like a comma. And you all know how powerful commas can be. For example, let's eat grandma versus let's eat grandma, right? <laughs> now, the first one is a, a, a designation that grandma is on the menu uh, the second one is an invitation graciously offered to grandma to join you for a meal. Now, that makes a big difference to grandma, all right? In fact, you could even say commas save lives, right? And, and, and this, this idea of it, it's just a pause, but that pause actually shifts everything about the meaning. That pause shifts everything about what it is that God wants to communicate to us in that moment. So Selah is his gift saying stop and, and, and ponder this. Stop and, and just receive this. Stop and, and measure what's being said here. In fact, it's an opportunity for us to really be present with Jesus. You know, Jesus is the one who issues this invitation in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, pause, and refreshment. And you know, since this is the invitation of Jesus, it does make me wonder why so many Christians are so weary and so burdened. I believe it's because we don't practice selah. We, we're not stepping into this pause that refreshes and that allows us to catch our breath and be present with Jesus and refilled by Jesus and, and just appreciate the moment that we're in. I know we've talked about this before, Overlake, but I'd love for you to do this with me. Right now, on the count of three, I just want you to inhale deeply. Ready? One, two, three. Just enjoy this moment right here. Right, this pause. How often do you do that during the course of your day? You know, there are a few times where I think are just natural for me to step into Sila. One of which is when I'm getting ready for bed and I'm kind of going around the house and locking up all the doors, making sure everything's kind of buttoned down. And I'll often walk out on my front porch and just take a moment 
sniff the night air, look up, see what the stars are doing, the clouds. There's an owl that lives in my neighborhood, so I've been listening to that owl for a few moments and, and just enjoying that time. It's not long, but it's beautiful. Or some of you know this about me, that I love sunshine. So if I'm walking out to my car and the sun's shining down, often I'll just stop and I'll kind of look up at the sun with my eyes closed and just receive vitamin D. It's just a beautiful moment, right, to pause. You know, for some of us, we, we get up and we rush around in the morning and everything is just a task list to get through. And I wonder, when you're standing in the shower next, if you could just... Notice how the, the, the hot water streams against your head. How good it feels to be you in that moment. And just take that time to be with the Lord and thankful that you've got a hot shower, that you can start your day clean, that you're ready to, to tackle whatever comes next. I wonder if God has not sprinkled sila all along the course of our day like hidden treasures, and we just don't have the eyes to see. So my prayer, and I want this to be your prayer too, is Jesus, help me see love more. Right? Help me step into this moment of pause with you more and receive what it is that you have for me. So that's, that's that smallest measure of pause that God gives. It's called sila. The next is called Sabbath. And Sabbath is a practice of rest. It's a practice of rest. In fact, that's actually what it means. Sabbath means to stop or to cease or to keep. And it's all the way through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Exodus 20, verse 8 says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Work six days and do everything you need to do. But the Sabbath day is a Sabbath to God. Don't do any work. Or that next verse from Exodus 16, 29. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Could you circle that phrase? This is God's gift to us out of his good Heart. This is not some onerous law to observe. It's actually a gift. It's a present from heaven for you and for me. <clears throat> that next verse, Exodus 23, 12 says, they, uh, Six days to do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be Refresh. So there's the purpose. The purpose is for rest. It's for refreshment, right? And that's why it's God's gift to us. It, it seeks to distance us from our frenzy of activity. And this is the way Jesus wants us to live our lives so that we can kind of separate the idea. You know, we're, we're, we're not human doings after all. We're human beings, and it's a time for us to cease our doing, to stop our doing, so that we can actually just be who we are supposed to be before the Lord. Just be present with our loved ones, to be present in this life. It's God's gift to us. In fact, Jesus says this, is, is, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was actually made for us so that God could give us this gift. So that we could set aside one day of the week that, to remember that we honor the Lord and worship the Lord and be present with the Lord. But most of all, what God wants is our hearts in all of this. He doesn't want just a strict observance of a law. What he wants is our hearts drawing near to him. And of course, Jesus illustrates this the best. He says this in Matthew 12, verse 8 and following. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So we recognize Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And then it says, 
Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? It's a trick question. They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull him out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. All right, so that last line, friends. Let me tell you what the Sabbath is not intended for. It's not intended to hold a meeting to plot murder, okay? And these are the religious leaders. Like, can you imagine? This is an adventure in missing the point. He heals on the Sabbath, so he's working, so let's kill him, you know? Like, just crazy town. But that's how people get when they get caught up in a religious spirit. The Pharisees were missing the heart of God. See, Jesus, is his, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is about drawing near to the Lord and being present with the Lord and doing good on that day. But more importantly than doing good on that day, it's to remember that God is good and that God does good all the time. You see, part of the reason why we cease our activity is to remember that God is the one who actually is at work behind the scenes. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, the spiritual rest which God particularly intends in this commandment is this, that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more, that we let God alone work in us. So let me ask you, who keeps the planets spinning on their axis? Who provides shelter for the birds and the beasts of the field? Who orchestrates the tides? Who waters the earth? Bless you. Who makes the crops grow and the orchards laden with fruit? You see, the, the whole point of Sabbath is to remind our tiny selves that it does not all rest on our shoulders, but that we have a God who is incredible, a God who is powerful, and a God who is personal, and he's the one who's holding all this together. You, just by show of hands, how many of you right now in your possession or at your home or in your car, own a cell phone? Let's show of hands, how many? Okay, so that's most of you and just a couple of weirdos. Um, <laughs> it, it, just kidding, here's the thing. If you have a cell phone, and it really doesn't matter what make or model you have, if you have a cell phone, you know how to read how much battery you have left. And you look and you see how much battery you have left, and then some of your phones, when it gets down to a certain percentage, automatically it switches into low battery mode. Some of you, it doesn't automatically switch, but you get to choose. You can switch it into low battery mode. And here's what that means. It means that your cell phone will cease to put activity or energy toward anything that is non-essential. Anything that is non-mission critical, it will, it will not power at all. And it will only sort of subsist in the, like the, what is most important for survival. And it will do that so that you can get to a power source and plug it in. And then when it's recharging, what does it say? It, at some point, it'll kick off low power mode. It'll say, battery sufficiently recharged. Now, here's what I want you to, uh, to ponder. What if God, who has made the human being, 
infinitely more complex than a cell phone, by the way. God who's made the human being knows exactly what low power mode is for you. And he says, here's how it's going to work. You push, push, push for six days. You go, go, go. You strive, strive, strive. Work, work, work. Accomplish, accomplish. For six days, you're running hard. And then on the seventh, he says, switch into low power mode. Allow yourself to only do what is mission critical in that day. You know, feed yourself, feed your kids, that kind of thing. But plug into the power source and allow your soul to be recharged. See, God knows what we need. And so it's his good heart that gives us this gift of Sabbath. So that's the challenge. Not only, Lord, would you help me sila more, but, Lord, would you help me Sabbath? Would you help me be intentional around Sabbath? So those are the first two things of pause, uh, elements of pause that God gives. The next is this. It's Sabbath year on your outline. And the Sabbath year is about restoration. It's about this almost a holistic kind of restoration. Let's look at what it says in Exodus 23.10. It says, for six years, you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. In some of your translations, it might say, land, let the land lie fallow. It means don't harvest, don't plant, don't, don't uh, plow. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. And that next verse from Leviticus 25, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you've entered the land, I'm giving you the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. Now, what's interesting about this is this is before sort of scientific, you know, uh, the ability to verify things scientifically here. But you do realize that science has verified. That by letting the land lie fallow every seventh year, it's a chance for the soil itself to be restored and for the nutrients to be replenished into the ground so that the, the crops that are harvested there, so that the, the farmer's ability to produce is actually increased and it's not just stripping away all of the nutrition from the soil. And so it, it makes me think, I wonder if our lives are similar to the land. Right? How many of you could use a Sabbath year yourself, right, that you would just not work for a year? Does that sound good? Uh, most of you didn't think so. Uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you, brother. Yeah. So, the, but this idea of like a season of rest, does it, does it not sound good to have maybe a season of rest that you're looking forward to? Or just kind of knowing, hey, you know what, next month I'm taking this extended period of time where I just get to be and enjoy my family. I just get to be and, and kind of take it easy for a while. And, and here's the deal. I, I wonder if not only does God know that we want this, but he knew that our culture would actively work against it. You realize that in American society today, we work more days a year we work more hours a day. We take less vacation days that we actually are granted. I just read an article this week that said that there is this, it's almost like an epidemic in America where workers who have vacation days are just letting them burn, not because they don't want to take those vacation days, but because they feel overburdened already and they feel guilty about walking away from work. 
and it's just this predominant sort of the pressure that you just got to keep going, that your value comes from what you produce. And, and God has a different plan for us. God says, no, I want you to be able to take a season of rest every so often. And maybe not always. You can't do this all the time. You can't do it even every year. But maybe you kind of look ahead and you go, what does it look like for me to really push hard for a number of years, but then to plan some time where I take this off, right? Uh, it might look like this. If you have young kids and, you, and, you're, and you're thinking to yourself, my kids are in all these sports, it's all year round, maybe you just let that go for you know, a number of years in a row, but there comes a time when you say, you know what, family, this winter, none of us are gonna be in sports. We're just gonna be together, right? We're just gonna do this together. And I know some of you, you're laughing because you're like, no, my kid has to be in the NBA when I get, when it, and it's going to destroy his hoop dreams and all this. You know what? You, you let that go for the Lord, right? If God wants him in the NBA, he'll put him in the NBA. Like, that's fine. So, but maybe for you, maybe you're always starting something new. You're always starting a new project. You're always starting new things. You're always trying to come up with new things that you can go after. You're a little bit entrepreneurial. And maybe you do that for six years, but on the seventh year, you just kind of, no, I'm not going to start anything new this year. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, right? And let the, let the creativity, rather, life follow that year so that God can restore that, that energy level, that creativity. See, I don't know what it might look like for you. I know this is hard for us to pull off. We're not in an agrarian society, so it's not exactly the same thing. But let me tell you this. If, if you have ever had a, a car battery that's been dead, you come out, your car's just dead, there are two ways that you can get that thing going again. The first is a jump start, and many of us have done this. We've jump started our car, and I've done it many times. That's where you hook up the cables to that and another car that's running, and you fired it up that way. And you know what? That, that'll work. That'll work. That'll get you going. The, the energy will be restored instantly. You start driving it again right away, and, and that'll work. There is a downside, and the downside is that anymore cars have so many com computer components that by jump starting your car, you fry those things. You don't even know you fried them. Second thing is it's not good for your engine. And the last thing is it actually damages your battery core. So it damages your battery core so it's less than it was before it died. So you're, so, so you're hurting your car by doing that. There's a, one other way to recharge your battery. It's called a trickle charge. And that's where you plug in this component. It's plugged into a wall so there's electricity running in. And it's a slow fill and slowly refills your battery. But here's what's interesting, it takes longer, and most of us don't have the patience for it, and so we don't do it, but, but if you do it correctly, not only does it give you energy, but it actually restores your battery capacity. So it's almost like a new battery. Friends, I want you to understand that when God makes us and then gives us a challenge like a Sabbath year, what he's saying is, I know you. And I know you need a trickle charge. You're so used to jump-starting your life, and that's why you're caffeine addicted. But he says, but you need a trickle charge every so often. So what does that look like for you to build a Sabbath year into your routine as you live? And then the last thing we're going to talk about, and again, this is where we're going for the month, is, is Jubilee. And it's the, it's the highest level of pause that God gives his people. And here's what Jubilee means. Jubilee embraces freedom. It embraces freedom. And so let's just jump into this. This is Leviticus 25, verses 8 through 13. 
It says, in addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years. So this is in addition to your Sabbath years. Seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. That's called a shofar, uh, and we'll get back to that in a couple weeks here. Set this uh, year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom. You might want to circle that. A time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. So there's freedom. Slavery, then, it was an institution. But, but this would be a land where the, or a time when the slaves would be set free. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own. Don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. This was a, a massive reset. And in fact, uh, scholars refer to this as the year of liberation. Right? There would be this incredible freedom that would be enacted all the way through. So a couple of different things you see. One is it has uh, the same um, resting the land that a Sabbath year has. So there's a renewal and a rest for the land itself. So that's the same. But then there's this additional uh, kind of bit where the land is to be returned to its original owners or its ancestral owners. And there's that interesting thing because not only are you setting the, the slaves free, and by the way, the, one of the reasons why there was uh, people in slavery is they would be in poverty, not able to survive, so they would sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. So they were to be set free. Uh, what's one reason why people would lose the lands that had been passed from father to son, you know, generation after generation? Why would they lose their lands? It's because of poverty. They'd not be able to care for themselves or their families, so they would sell their lands off into other ownership. So those would be restored. So slaves would be set free. Lands would be returned. Debts would be forgiven. You could imagine how good this was for the poor in Israel. Right? You can imagine how this is such good news for the down and out, for the downtrodden, for those who had not done well financially, for, for this kind of recognition that in so much of what economics is, it's dog-eat-dog -dog and survival, and you know, who can you chew up, and what lands can you amass, and if you're not good at that, you end up kind of sinking down in sort of this economic game, and, and God says, you know what, I'm going to build in a 50-year reset button. And I'm going to make sure that for those who've not been able to participate, for whatever reason, those who have squandered their opportunities or those who have gotten themselves into trouble, into debt, or into slavery, or they've sold their land, there is a reset button. There is a 50-year control-alt-delete, let's reboot this thing, right? And, and so you could imagine how this was good news, especially good news for the poor, you can also imagine how this was such an incredible way for the nation of Israel to give a witness to all the other nations of the world, where the other nations of the world would look at Israel and say, what are they doing? They're resetting everything. They're returning the land to its original owners. They're re removing debt. They're setting slaves free. And look how God is blessing the nation. Right? And so, so it was supposed to be a testimony of glory to the world. And not only that, it was to be a way for them to remember how good God is, not just to those who were able to thrive economically, but how good God is for every single person there. 
right? That he loves his people. He's present with his people. He provides for his people. He blesses his people. Jubilee was a way to celebrate all of that. It's just a beautiful, beautiful reality. And so if you could think of it this way, year 51, because of year 50, would look infinitely different than year 49. Right? It would just be this massive renewal, this massive hope that there would be joy throughout the land, that everybody would have opportunity restored to them. Now, here's what's so interesting to me is I think this is one of the most beautiful concepts that I've ever heard about. And it's a total gift from God's good heart to his people who he loves so much. We have no evidence that the nation of Israel ever celebrated Jubilee even one time. Now, they knew it. They taught it. They, you know, philosophized about it. They agreed with it. I mean, we've got, we've got so much information about the nation of Israel. We've got so much information about how that society operated. We, we know more about ancient Israel than we know about any culture on the planet. And yet we have no evidence that they ever obeyed God in this at all. In fact, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, it was a part of the prevailing thought that when Messiah comes, he will teach us how to jubilee. Because they just missed it. Now, the question you might be asking is, why not? Why didn't they jubilee? Why, did they, why didn't they follow through on what God had told them to do? And it was pretty clear and specific. And, you know, you're 50 and day of atonement. Like, there's a lot of, it's not just vague. It's like, no, this is specific. I want you to do this. And they didn't. Why not? Well, here's the deal. Who wouldn't have wanted jubilee to happen? The people who owned all the land don't want to give it back to its original owners. The people who collect the notes on all the debts don't want to forgive those debts. People who owned all the slaves, it's free labor. You see, the powerful don't want to jubilee. I mean, and again, I don't want to judge anyone, but think about it. If, if somebody owes you 20 grand and you're like, forgive the debt, well, well, no, I actually want those 20 grand. Right? So you, you understand, I mean, we get it that it's difficult, but here's, if I could just boil it all down. All of that stuff, not wanting to, to, you know, kind of revert to what God had intended, not wanting to obey God and jubilee when it meant that it cost you something, it all boils down. The reason why Israel did not jubilee even once all boils down to a word, trust. They didn't trust that God would be good to them. They didn't trust that as they released their slaves that God would actually bless them for their obedience. They didn't trust that by not harvesting their field, that God would actually bless them with provision. They didn't trust that, that by doing this thing, which was so radical and so countercultural, you know, in, in, in that ancient world, even now it's just absolutely countercultural. They didn't trust that God would actually meet them as they obeyed him and make things incredible, not only for them, but for everyone in the land. So here's the deal. Jubilee is about moving forward, trusting God. You might want to write that down somewhere. It's about moving forward, trusting God. It's a beautiful thing to look back and to celebrate all the things that God has done over the last 50 years. That's a wonderful part about Jubilee. But let me tell you something. In the past, it actually doesn't, I don't risk anything looking backwards. 
But when you move forward trusting God, that's where the adventure lies. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into this idea of Jubilee. What does it look like to bring Jesus at the very center of our lives? Over like you already know Jesus at the very center of who we are as a church. But what does it look like to bring him right at the center of our lives so that we say, Jesus, I trust you. That I trust you. And it's not just what we talk about, because we talked about this a lot. It's not just I trust you as Savior, because we do trust him as Savior. We trust him as savior of our souls. We trust him as savior for eternity. We, we trust him as the author of our salvation. Like these things are wonderful. Yes, he's savior. Absolutely, that's true. But I'm talking about one level deeper. And it's not just Jesus as savior. I'm talking about Jesus as Lord. That we trust him as the Lord of our families. That we trust him as Lord over our careers. We trust him as Lord over our finances. We trust him as Lord over our relationships. We, do, we trust him as Lord over our time, over everything about our lives. Jesus is Lord. We know he's Lord of the Sabbath, so let's trust him with Sabbath. We know he's Lord of Selah, so let's enter into Selah. And friends, we know he's Lord over Jubilee, so let's enter into Jubilee and allow him to restore us and refresh us and replenish us as only he can do. Friends, he knows you and he knows me. He crafted us together. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows everything about us and he knows how we need to pause. We know, he knows how we need to rest and he knows how we need to be present with him in Selah and in Sabbath and in Jubilee. All right, so why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's ask him for his help as we pursue this. Lord Jesus, right now, I know that you're present with us in this moment, that you love us. You, you know how we actually have not done a great job in these things, that, that even on our Sundays, we fill them with activity, and you know how there's so many days we just rush through the moments and we never actually pause and spend time being present with you. And in these greater challenges like Sabbath year and Jubilee, Lord, we, we don't exactly know what it looks like to really wrap our arms around that kind of beauty and that, that kind of incredible glory where you receive all the honor and all the praise and where we are reminded that, that it's not our work at the center of this, it's, it's your work that's at the center of it. And we are so thankful. So Jesus, we ask that you would clearly meet us in this moment right now. That you would wrap your arms of care around us. And that you would carry us forward. Help us to be diligent about practicing these areas of pause. Show us what it might look like to build in Selah. And to build in Sabbath. And to pursue a season of rest. And and then even to embrace a larger jubilee. Lord, we love you, and we are your people, and we don't just want to agree with your word, we want to participate in it. So show us how. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.